0: Um, So if you have one question for Jesus that you'd like to ask him, I'm going to bet that at the top of the list, it's not, would you have a storage unit? Because that's one of the things that I've been asking Jesus this week is, would you have a storage unit if you were an American here and now, or better yet, for those of us that don't have a storage unit, would you have a two-car garage that doesn't have any cars in it? Because I have too much stuff to fit my cars in it. Would this be something that you would live in? Is this, is this a lifestyle that you approve of, Jesus, for me, much less for our church? Um, it, it's probably not at the top of your list of things that you're thinking about when you want to ask Jesus something about his storage habits or, or what, what's going on. But nonetheless, it is a helpful introduction to where Jesus is leading us today about laying up for ourselves treasure, Like, it's a very American thing to store things up, but it's not, maybe not a very Christian thing to store things up. So I did a little research this week on American accumulation, because when I've gone to India, when I've gone to Peru, when I've gone to Mexico, even when I've had a little short stop in in the UK or in uh, Paris, I've never seen a a storage facility. I'm sure they're there, but I've never seen them the way that I see them here, because you can bet when something is going up around here, it's one of three things, a liquor store, a storage unit, or a dentist office. Uh, those three things are happening on a regular basis, right, Whether uh, because we're growing a growing little area out here in Fort Bend County. But did you know that the average size, this is, this is how, how we may not see how accumulation is probably just kind of rotting us from the inside as Americans, much less as American Christians. So let's get some insight from those that have researched this over time. Did you know that the average size of the American home has tripled in the last 50 years? Uh, like Our grandparents didn't, didn't see this, uh, this kind of accumulation that we're now seeing. The American home, how they're being built, has tripled in the last 50 years. One in 10 Americans rent a storage facility, so 90% of you are like, why do you care about storage? But 10% of you are going, uh-oh. Right? It is, by the way, did you know, that the fastest growing commercial real estate industry over the last 40 years is storage facilities, What? I didn't know that. There are over 50,000 storage facilities in the US. That is five times the amount of Starbucks that there are in the US. And you know how many Starbucks there are around here. There's tons. I can count of five within like just a little, like you got Target, you got the one outside of Target, you got one in Long Meadow Farms, you got Randall's, you got Kroger. Uh, I'm already overwhelmed with the choices, much less whether or not it's gonna be a grande or tall. It's crazy right? It's five, but five times the amount of that just in this area or in America. Check this out. 3.1% of the world's children are in the U.S., and yet they own 40% of the world's toys. Yeah, careful. It's good to have you back, John, my brother. I like it. Keep talking back. 3.3% of us Like 3% of the world's children are in the U.S., and yet they own 40% of the toys. And you are reminded of this every time you sing that song. Clean up, clean up, everybody clean up. 40% of the world's toys owned by 3% of the world's kids. 50% of households, couple that with accumulation, 50% of households save $0 annually. Are you starting to see the issue? Accumulation, on one hand, is going to lead us to a very poor, bankrupt nation on another. But not only do we not save any money, check this little bit out. Our homes have more TVs than people in them. Our homes have more TVs than people in them. And if you add to that the amount of screens that we have in the house, holy moly, I can't even imagine what that would be. Tenfold, maybe. Eightfold maybe, of the amount of accumulation and consumption that we are doing. And then finally, just because this is a church and we have to just kind of do this every once in a while, Americans give just 1.9% of their income away to charitable causes. And if you're thinking to yourself, well, that's Americans altogether. Surely Christians have different habits. Indeed, we do. We give away 3%. So we've gone from 2% to upwards of 3% as those who claim We have an accumulation problem in America, and Jesus is here to remind us that this is a place of destruction. This is a place of false hope when we begin and continue to accumulate over our years. You see, the thing is, is that at this cultural moment, we are in the world of Amazon. And I'm going to tell you this, like if your UPS driver doesn't just look for one box uh, from your order from Amazon, they go, okay, well, I know that person's ordered at least two or three worth, boxes worth of stuff. There's an issue here, right? We've got the world of Amazon, and we've coupled that with quarantine, so what do we do to take away life's issues, to take away, to distract us of the pain of just staying at home? We accumulate, we accumulate, we accumulate, and Jesus is here to remind us again of the very subtle strangulation this is having on our souls, It is a very subtle strangulation that leads to our ultimate death is what he's going to say. This is why he drops the mic at the end of this passage when he says, no one can serve two masters. You cannot serve God and money. Uh, Or some some translations say mammon. It's just another way of saying money, right? Possessions. We Instead, Jesus is making this great point. If we've missed it, I want to remind us of this point. He is hammering home. This desire for us, his desire for us to live for a reward. And and we have a tendency to reward ourselves. Do we not? Like I don't know about you, but like I've just, I've been trying to like eat a little bit more healthy. I don't do it all the time, but I'm trying to eat a little bit healthier. And so that's meant that I've just not eaten any cookies for like the last month. I know if you know me, that's a huge deal. And so uh, for me though, like the other night when we got done with spiritual training, I got done with it and I talked to Melissa and I go, I must have trained myself to eat cookies after a day like today because I just, I can feel myself wanting them for no reason other than, ooh, man, just got done with a long meeting, a long call, a lot, a lot of talking, which, by the way, I do a lot of. So I must need some cookies or I must need to reward myself. I must need to veg out in front of Netflix. I must need to whatever your reward system is. See, that is a part of our, our, our truly our DNA as humans. We want to, we live for reward. Jesus knows that, but what he's warning us on and what he's encouraging us on is to live for a reward that does not come from ourselves, but from him and him alone. Check this out how many times he uses "reward" so far in the Sermon on the Mount. It starts in verse 5, verse 12, rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. So for so they persecuted the prophets um, who were before you. He goes on in five forty six. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? We just read this together in six one. Uh, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward. From your Father who is in heaven. Verse 2, at the end, truly I say to you, right? He's saying this, but they have received their reward in full. Those that that want to be seen by people. Again in verse 4, that these people give to the needy so that your giving may be in secret. That's what we should be giving. And your Father who sees you in secret will reward you. Again in verse 5, he goes on to say about praying truly if you go and you pray in the synagogues and you make a big deal about your prayers to be to be seen they have received their uh, w- their reward in full and in verse 6 but when you pray go into your room shut the door pray to your father Father who is in secret, and your father who sees in secret will reward you. Going on not just in giving, not just in praying, but also in fasting, we go to verse 16. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces, that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But I say to you, fast. And he goes on in verse 18: that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret, and your father who sees you in secret will reward you. Are you seeing the picture here? Nine times in just a a couple of chapters that Jesus is saying, it's fine to live for a reward. That's a good thing. But make sure your reward comes from your Father in heaven and not from yourself or not from other people. Because we have a tendency in our human hearts to do religious things for really just like shallow purposes. To be acknowledged To be somehow appreciated. Oh, man, appreciate your sacrifice. You're fasting today? Yeah, man, you keep keep fasting. To be acknowledged, to be appreciated, to somehow be pat on the back for our really small in comparison sacrifices uh, for the Lord. Jesus is coming for this kind of life, and he's making sure that we live for treasure, for reward that is not here and now. So the way that he does this is a little bit unique. And it's going to require for me to explain a few things and then give some application at the end. And so join with me to three metaphors that Jesus is using to help explain really this danger of treasuring things too much, of accumulation, of wanting more and more and more. And the first metaphor is this. He talks about treasure and our hearts. And something for us to learn here. Our heart. Right? Our heart chases our treasure. Verses 19 through 21, we've read a lot. We're going to read a little bit more. Verses 19 through 21, our heart chases our treasure. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasure in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's the first metaphor that Jesus uses about treasure and our hearts. The things that we treasure, truly, that is the thing that our heart is going to chase. Another way of saying this is look at where you spend your time. Take inventory of where you spend your money, your best efforts. What do you pursue? What do you want to do. I was at the baseball field yesterday for six hours for my six-year-old's tryout. And dude, I am telling you right there, you can see what our culture is treasuring. We will put aside, si- if I asked you to do something for six hours on a Saturday, we would all balk. Many times the men would balk and go, I got other things to do. But when it comes to baseball for our sons, woo, we're going to be there early and stay late. Our treasure, our hearts are coming out out of the things that we pursue the things that we prioritize, the things that we put on our calendars or we make, make room for in our budgets, right? Yes, your habits, I've said this before, your habits reveal your heart. Your habits reveal your heart. So an easy way to figure out what you're being captivated by is by going through your budget every week or month or how often you do it and figure out where am I spending money? Because Jesus says that's where your heart is. Whatever you treasure, whatever you prioritize, that's the thing that my heart is chasing. So if I'm chasing, uh, if, if my budget is revealing to me that I'm putting away a large amount of money for vacation, not a bad thing, right? I, I, I'm going on uh, uh, my the second half of a sabbatical uh, this summer. There's rest that we need. We need to put aside time for rest. Not a bad thing. But if we're consistently doing that over and over again, or we're consistently chasing Entertainment or food, like that's the big one in our family is food or, or toys or, or whatever's in our closets. See, it's not just what's in our garages, but it's also what's in our, our closets. If we're consistently pursuing more and more and more, and this incessant need never ends. See, that's a good indication that our hearts are chasing something that will never satisfy us. It will never satisfy us. So Jesus says, this is a way of trouble. And a great way to measure what we say we love and what we really love is just take inventory of what we prioritize throughout any given week. Because the, uh, the, the problem here is that we often say one thing but do another. Like our church says, we want to invite all people to follow Jesus in all of life. And it's that all of life where we get increasing measure to follow Jesus uh, truly daily, but also in all things, including what happens With our wallet. I sent a message to our neighborhood group leaders this week and I said, Hey, look, if you're doing a Super Bowl with your neighborhood group, awesome. If you're not, here's a little teaser question for your group because Jesus is coming after your wallet on Sunday. And we might think as Americans, whoa, 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 that's off limits, Jesus. That's my personal life now. But he is calling us to say, No, no, we can't just hold back, you know, whatever percentage of our lives for him or away from him. He's calling us to submit all of life to him, because that's where he knows. Life is truly found. You see, Jesus is, is truly freeing us. He's not just challenging us, but he's freeing us from doing something even more dangerous than just avoiding treasure altogether. He's inviting us to self-examination because he knows that every treasure which finds its home here, in the here and the now, will be destroyed or stolen. See, that's what he says when he says we're, we're moth and we're rough. Rough? Moth and rust destroy and where a thief comes in and steals. It's a gradual loss of moth or rust or it's a sudden loss of a thief. And he's saying either way you're going to lose the treasure that you're storing up in the here and now. Either way it's going to be taken from you either from a gradual loss or a sudden one if we are storing up treasures in the here and now. And now. And so Jesus is saying there is a way to protect yourself from that kind of loss. And what is that way? Stop storing yourselves, for your, laying up for yourselves treasures on earth, and instead lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where rust and moth will not decay, and where thieves will not break in and steal see, if we make more money to get more stuff, to have more fun, to get more relaxation, to get more escape from today's problems, Jesus is saying, examine yourself, you're in trouble. Right? Instead, um, like, hear me. Like again, vacations are needed. They're, but if your need is incessant, then Jesus is reminding us that we've got to submit all things unto Jesus. So we do this in our partnership clap, or our, our class, or our membership class. And when we talk about this, we say, "When all things unto Jesus," inviting all people to follow Jesus in all of life. And then we go, "What's that all of life look like?" And we go, calendars, kids, sports, money, and then we get to vacations, and everybody goes, "Vacations!" But I'm on a vacation from Jesus too. He's like, no, no, even that is a place in a time where we submit ourselves and live under King Jesus there as well. So walking with Jesus in the kingdom is less about, though, right and wrong, though, right? This is the, 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 the true invitation to examine ourselves, to figure out, like, what nuance am I walking here? What fine line am I walking here? Because the Christian life is less about black and white or right and wrong and really more about am I doing the right things for the wrong reason? So you can look good on the outside, those who are play actors, the hypocrites, but am I doing the right things for the right reason or am I doing the right things for the wrong reason? Either way, on the outside, it looks great. But the question is, and this is only an answer that you can have with you and Jesus, is where is my heart in all of this? I could be the most generous person in the world, but again, if I give to be seen, I'm out of step with the gospel, And so Jesus invites us into self-examination to understand, are we truly following him in all of life? We prayed this uh, a couple of weeks ago, and I think it's, it's poignant for us. He says this, right? On earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. Is our heart longing for on earth as it is in heaven, or is it longing for in heaven as it is on earth? You see, if we're praying that on earth as it is in heaven, we're inviting God's values to come and invade our space here and now. But if we're, we're somehow living truly as in heaven as it is on earth, we're trying to force our values into eternity, and it will never happen. We'll be sorely disappointed day in and day out. That's the first metaphor that he's inviting us into is this treasure that our hearts are chasing, our treasure. The second thing, a little bit more complicated but on purpose by Jesus, he talks about this, our eyes are either generous or jealous. So our hearts are chasing our treasure, now our eyes are either generous or jealous. Let me read this second metaphor so we can get an understanding of where he's headed. Again, in verse 22 and 23. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light in you is darkness, how great is that darkness. Jesus starts off, or this part here, by giving us an eye exam, right? He's, he's, he's the optometrist with the crazy lenses, number one, number two. I don't know. Was there a difference? I don't know. Just look at the little house down at the prairie, and when you tell me when it gets fuzzy, or when it gets clear. I don't know. We're on like our number 30, or number 31. I don't know, dude. Just tell me what I can see, and what I can't see at this point. Jesus is giving us an eye exam to help us see, are we, do we have generous eyes, or do we have jealous eyes? eyes. You see, Jesus is intentionally using language here to have double or triple meaning because it says healthy or bad, and he's not talking about physical health, like can you actually see. He's saying spiritually, are they healthy, aka are they generous, or are they bad or evil, and therefore jealous, this word, that, the words that he's using here have a double meaning throughout all of Scripture. Not just to be health or good, but to be generous. Not just to be bad or evil, but to be covetous or jealous. And so he goes on to say, like, will you have a single eye towards discipleship to Jesus, or will you be distracted with our eyes? And his indication here is that what we are constantly fixed upon with our, the, the eyes of our heart will ultimately be the thing that we chase again and again and again. And if we're constantly thinking about ways to consume, ways to get from people, ways to take advantage of others or use them for our ultimate goal, our eye is covetous, it's jealous, it's an evil eye. It's where that saying comes from. But if we jump into a place where we can contribute, where we're actually there uh, to be generous with our, with our disposition, much less our wallet, that is a place that Jesus is calling healthy and good and Godward. So that's really what he's saying in this second metaphor. There are too many examples to think about um, for us in this. Like, like, You could talk about like what are we looking at on a regular basis, and truly, how is that feeding our souls? When I say we need to take a fast from social media, these things are evident over time. We're constantly scrolling, right? We're constantly trying to figure out what's that next thing. Um, I don't have cable, but I was in a place that had cable recently, and I was like, dude, HGTV is from the devil. I was on that thing for like five minutes, and I was already coveting whatever they were doing. Like, I don't know what that is, but I haven't had that in my soul in a long time, and if you watch that on a regular basis, danger. I didn't realize how dangerous it was until I saw it again. I was like, holy moly. Yeah, I want those cabinets. Yeah, I want that. I didn't want that before I saw it, but now I want it. And that's the principle here that Jesus is giving us that what we're looking at ultimately is driving what's in our hearts more than we would like to admit. The main point here in this metaphor is that the posture are we going to have one uh, of a posture of a healthy eye looking to see what we contrib- contribute, or a, or a healthy or an unhealthy posture of one with an evil eye looking to see what we consume? Contribution or consuming? Generous or jealous? Who will we be? Jesus is kind of starting to really start to split the room here on what kind of people we're called to be as those who want to flourish in the kingdom. And then finally, easily the most difficult language that Jesus is going to make right here, right now. Easily. If we thought it was hard to this point, we don't understand the difficulty that Jesus is about to put before us here in this last verse. Verse 24, he's going to tell us not just that our hearts chase our treasure, treasure, not just that our eyes are either generous or jealous. We have a posture and a, and a, and a, and yeah, a posture towards those things. But also, we can only have one master. One master. Now, this is, again, going to be troubling for us. It's definitely politically incorrect back then as well as it is for here and now. Verse 24. No one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Jesus says it can't happen. It's not possible. And I can tell you right now, there are many people in this room going, oh, I can serve two masters, it's fine. I've been doing it for a long time. It's not, this is actually not applicable to me because we are in a culture that's constantly uh, multitasking. Did you know that listening for podcasts went up like crazy during the pandemic and during the quarantine, but since people have started to go back to work the listenership of podcasts have gone way down. Do we know why? It's because people aren't at home multitasking. So the multitasking is I'm going to work and listen to a podcast. I'm going to scroll on Instagram and do something else, right, and watch TV. Like have you found yourself doing that lately? Like one screen's not enough. we got to do Instagram and watch whatever's on Netflix. We're a multitasking generation. We don't just have one job. we got a side hustle. And if you don't have a side hustle, there's something wrong with you. But Jesus is calling us back and saying, look, truly, my ownership of you is not like an employee to an employer. My ownership of you is like a master to a slave. Now, again, that's very difficult language. But back in those days, and even up until now, it is is poignant language. When we say that Jesus is our Lord, we love that word, Lord. We have a cultural... uh, difficulty with the word master, but it is one and the same in the Greek. It is one and the same in the Bible, that he's saying, I own you. And when a master tells a slave something they do, they do it. They don't go, yeah, yeah, Jesus, I've been real busy though with this other side hustle. I'll get to you after lunch. He's saying, no, no, that's not how this relationship works. You're not employed by me. You don't work by, uh, for me. No, I own you. You are my treasured possession You're a servant of mine. Same word for slave. You're you're mine. I own you. I bought you with a price. You're not your own is what the Bible would continue to say. You're not your own. I own you. So there's, there's a difficult interpretation here, but one that Jesus is inviting us to somewhat redeem in a relationship with him. Don't think of, of whips and chains and all that. Think of, man, I get to serve him in this way because he has chosen me in the marketplace. He has brought me into his family because that's not the only identity that he gives us of servant. He also gives us the identity of a blood-bought son or daughter, a brought-in orphan, now, now son and daughter of the king. So it's not just the only thing. No, it's nuanced, right? There's so many multiple layers of the things that he calls us to. But when he gives us a hard teaching like what we do with our wallets, and he says, no, you got to do what I'm, what, I'm, what I'm telling you to do. You're mine. And though you may have many possessions, I have one, and it's you. And I treasure you far greater than anything that you can ever put in your garage, anything you could ever put in your closet anything you could ever boast about on Facebook. No, God treasures us even more than that. He gave his son that we might be his servants. What an unbelievable uh, and difficult reality, but one where we must submit to and go, man, we have one master, and it's not me. It's not my employer. It's not my kids. It's not their schedule. It's not anything else. It is King Jesus, the Lord Jesus, my master, my king. And so what he is telling us today is that we will either be owned by our possessions or you will be owned by God. And how you handle your treasure shows to whom you belong. To be one who would flourish in the kingdom is to be one who is wholeheartedly serving our master, king, Jesus. We cannot do both, he would say. It's impossible. So my question is, as we end, what do we do in an American context with this kind of of passage. Like, what do we do when we are a, a, a place, a country that accumulates more and more and more? And we certainly have an aversion to some of the biblical language that's put before us, such as slave and master. What do we do in this context? How can we, how can we follow Jesus in all of life in these ways? What is he really calling us to in this cultural moment, whether, no matter wh- uh, like what socioeconomic status we are? No matter what ethnicity we are, because this is a table where we're all welcome, all purchased, all brought in, if we would so repent and follow him. See, He's not probably telling us to just go sell everything we have. He's not calling us to a vow of poverty. I love going to the softball or baseball field because they find out that I'm a passion. They go, oh, well, you took a vow of poverty, so we're not going to ask you to do this or that or the other. I did not take a vow of poverty, but I also didn't take a vow of multiple riches. So don't put those two things together. That's probably not where we're at of taking a vow of poverty Poverty as a result of this type of passage. No, this is not about really about black or white or, or right or wrong. This is about what's going on in our hearts. Again, you could be the poorest person on the earth and yet have a heart that is far from God. Or you could be the richest person on the earth and use those riches to honor God. Jesus. Being rich or poor is not the issue. The issue is whether or not our hearts are worshiping King Jesus, wholly devoted to discipleship of following him in all of life, or if we'd rather keep back some for ourselves. This is about our hearts being captured by King Jesus, the Christ, and our response to that captivity. We either want what the world has to offer in the here and now about this reward, this acknowledgement, this this understanding that there are people that will acknowledge us, right? Or we learn to be content with what Jesus provides, generously stewarding, as Heather prayed earlier, all that God has granted us for his glory and our good. So to do this, in this American context, number one, I think we all have to admit that we got a problem. Like, you were a part of AA or any any Celebrate Recovery, the first step is to admit that you have a problem. We are addicted to accumulation, not necessarily to things. Maybe it's to respect. Maybe it's to honor. Maybe it's to a raise. Maybe it's to whatever, acknowledgement. We're addicted to that kind of thing, and Jesus is here to slowly wean us off and help us see that his worth is a far greater value than anything we can get in the here and now. So I'm not going to tell you to like Give away everything you have to the poor. Although that'd be a good start, um, I'm not going to tell you to like you know go have a garage sale and give to the widow, the orphan, the refugee, um, to 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 whomever, the poor. That would be fine. Instead, I want to give you three things to remember as we end. Right? This is the application part. Explanation over application part. And I'm going to do it in three ways: a question, some perspective, and a reminder. And then we're done. A question. As we, face, as we are faced with the next purchase, whether it be big or small, whether you're going to Walmart or to Zillow, uh, whatever it may be, like you're getting a big house or you're getting a little bitty thing, whatever it is in, in that whole spectrum, does this honor God or does it honor me? Does this honor God or does it honor me? Am I truly purchasing this because I have a jealous eye or am I doing this out of a generous heart? That's your first question. The second thing that I'd say that we need to apply in this is to remember some things. Like, There's a perspective here. Did you know that one of the the richest men on the planet has freely given us volumes of what he has learned from being the richest man on the planet? Did you know that? It's actually right here in the Bible. You see, King Solomon was the wisest and the richest. And he wrote, wrote volumes on how to live a life that does come out of riches. And look at his perspective. Here's the end game of all the riches that you could ever have. if if, if lust is your sin, all the women or men that you could ever have, all the riches that you could ever have, all the acknowledgement from those that would come and seek out King Solomon, all the acknowledgement that you could ever have, here's the end game to it all out of Ecclesiastes chapter 2 verses 10 and 11. He says, and whatever my eyes desire, do you see it? Do you see the connection between your heart and And your eyes, the things that you're looking at on a consistent basis that your heart is going to chase after. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure. For my heart found pleasure in all my toil, all my work. And this was my reward. Oh, man, there it is, the connection between reward and work that I want to reward myself, all my hard work with all these pleasures. Verse 11, and then I considered all that my hands had done and the toil that I had expended in doing it. And behold, all was vanity. It was all worthless. It was all empty. A striving after wind. And there was nothing to be gained under the sun see a question is does this honor God the perspective is from King Solomon giving us an understanding the end game of that kind of life of certainly American suburbia would be right in there this is the end game it's all vanity and then finally a reminder now a question some perspective and now a reminder listen friends I don't know about you but i've been I've been struggling through this all week um, whether it be uh like uh Black Lives Matter and, and being white in this context and understanding that, that's a thing that we need to understand. Like, Or it could be like, for me, like middle class American Christian in the suburbs, um, there's struggles with this. Whether we are white or black or Asian or Hispanic or rich or poor or wh- however our family ended up growing up, however it may be, however we have found economic, socioeconomic, ethnicity, status, identity at all apart from Jesus, there is a great danger in all of us in hearing a word like this, especially in American Christianity and be riddled with guilt. Be riddled with guilt. One one level or another. Doesn't matter where you stand in all those things. You can be driven by guilt but the reminder is this we are a people friends as christians we are a people as jesus followers we are a people that are not driven by guilt that is not a thing that is welcome here that's an in, that's that's a strategy of the enemy our accuser he wants us to feel guilty he wants us to feel all kinds of things but instead it is the gospel that drives the christian and what is it about the gospel that helps us today Again, they prayed it earlier, but I'll read it for us as we end today. 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, though he was rich, though he had status, though he had privilege, though he had all things in heaven, yet for your sake he became poor. He became a servant to all. He became a slave even to the point of death on a cross, so that you, by his poverty, by his sacrifice, might become rich. You see, the thing that fuels us to live this out in an appropriate way as, as Christians, period, whether we're American Christians, Peruvian Christians, Indian I don't care what you put in front of that, as Christians, the thing that gives fuel to this kind of living, of generous living, right, of of steadfastness upon Christ, of everything coming underneath the lordship, the mastership of Jesus, is that Jesus became poor for our sake. May we live out of the richness of Jesus. May we live out of this abundant blessings that God has given us and his son Jesus. Because when we do, the sacrifices of flourishing in the kingdom and the reward of a far off place, all of a sudden don't seem such a big sacrifice for us. No, instead it seems a pretty fair deal that he would, he would give us anything eventually. Not in the here and now. But eventually, our Father in heaven, who is in heaven, who sees in secret, will reward us. What a great promise to live for. His ultimate reward in his son, Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for loving us, capturing us, bringing us into your family. That you don't, you don't leave us as orphans. Orphans. You don't leave us as just floating around in a marketplace, being trafficked from one place to the next, as some unnamed slave. Instead, you, you purchased us, bringing us into your family, really setting us apart now as sons and daughters that would do what we want to do from our Father, who will reward us. So Lord, help us in the days ahead. Help us this week as we try to apply this scripture, this difficult scripture of treasuring you. Above all things, above what we can accumulate here, Lord, help us understand the beauty and the depth of placing you as the ultimate worthy, ultimate treasure that we can pursue, that our hearts can pursue you. What a privilege that is to call you father, to call you master, to call you king. So Lord, as we respond in song now, remind us of whose we are. Remind us of your goodness, of your presence. Speak to us, O Holy Spirit. Help us make sense of that which is unclear. Again, we want eyes to see you. We want ears to hear you. Not me. Not any pastor or any song or any lyricist. We want ears to hear you. We want a mind to understand what you're teaching us, master, rabbi, teacher, Lord. And ultimately, we want hearts to believe your good news deeper and deeper as we continue on in our discipleship of you. We love you. It's in Christ's name. Amen.